0: Where is the evidence of resurrection power transforming lives through your life and your family and your church? Does he not have a right to expect that? He does. This podcast is brought to you by BlackBee Ministries International. To find
1: out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I am your host and helping take our leadership to the next level. Uh, we have a bit of a special episode today. Uh, Richard, you're here with us today, but uh, we are going to be hearing from your dad. Yep. Can you maybe set up this I'm getting uh, pre-empted uh, sermon today by yeah. <laughs> uh, a much greater man of God? As uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have already heard, my father passed away on uh, February 10th, and uh, he was 88 years old. And so uh, his funeral is going to be this coming Sunday on uh, on February 25th. Uh, And by the way, that'll be live streamed. We can have that in the show notes if you'd like to watch it. And certainly welcome you to come to the funeral. It'll be at uh, First Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Georgia, uh, three o'clock. But uh, we thought it would be uh, interesting just to hear from my dad. Uh, the great thing about our modern age is that we do have some recordings of dad preaching and teaching, uh, which will live on, obviously, uh, much longer than he does. And uh, mm-hmm. so we just thought it'd be good just to hear his voice uh, this week. And so yeah. he preached a sermon a while ago called "Revival: Why Revival Tarries. And uh, that was a a great word from him. Uh, some of you may not realize that. Uh, of course, he's known for experiencing God, but his heart really was revival. And uh, in fact, uh, in 1972, he was pastoring in Saskatoon uh, at Faith Baptist Church, and a and a a major revival broke out in that in that city that spread all over the world, and uh, it deeply affected my. My father and his church—it—it started in his a a friend's church, not too far from ours. My dad and uh, Bill McLeod, the pastor there, used to pray together all the time and pray for revival. And then revival came, and certainly it it greatly impacted uh, our church as well. And and then just over the years, Dad uh, was—he was eventually asked to head the uh, office for uh, prayer and uh, revival, spiritual awakening for the Southern Baptist Convention. And that's what actually took him out of Canada. They, my dad often said uh, he just couldn't imagine ever leaving Canada. That's where God had had planted him. Uh, but the one thing he said was to be able to guide Southern Baptists uh, all across North America and the world in revival. And so in 1988, he, he moved to Atlanta, where he, he remained the rest of his life, uh, and, and traveled the world just uh, speaking of revival and Of course, experiencing God became a a major catalyst for that. It revived a lot of churches, a lot of individuals. Uh, And then just over the years, uh, Dad was just a part of a number of revivals. Uh, In the Campus Crusade one time, there was a great movement of God among all the staff that Dad was a part of. and In Brownwood, Texas, at Howard Payne University, a revival broke out there among the students and around the surrounding area and uh, dad was very much a part of that. And just over the years, uh, God used my dad in revival. So, so when, he, when he speaks on why revival tarries, uh, with all the people praying for revival, desiring revival, why hasn't it come yet? Uh, he, he knows something about revival. He's experienced it, and he longed for it, and he prayed for it. Uh, and so these are some pretty insightful words about uh, it, with as bad as things are, with as many people praying for revival, why does God not just send it? Why doesn't he just turn America, North America and the world uh, back on its feet and uh, and to back toward godliness? And so we just thought it'd be uh, just a special time uh, to kind of get comfortable and listen uh, to Henry Black and be talking about a, a topic that was very near and dear to his heart. Great. Well, thank you for that introduction. And uh, with that, Uh, We hope you enjoy this recording of Henry Blackaby in a sermon titled, Why Revival Tarries.
0: And my heart has been turning over for many, many reasons. Uh, Not the least of them is the incredible slide downward that our nation is taking with almost nothing to prevent the fall. And the salt is not preserving and the light is not dispelling the darkness. The darkness is acting just like its nature. The problem is the light is not dispelling the darkness. And so we have an incredible need in the heart of God for His people to return to Him with all their heart. The tragedy is God's people don't think they've moved. But it is tragically obvious that we are not where God wants us to be, for where is the manifest presence of God transforming entire communities and turning our nation back to Him? I pastored for more than 30 years, and I took very seriously the Word of God. And in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, on the basis of my father's activity in the heart of his own, convincing them that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. On that activity of my father, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so every six months, I would go alone with God and I would ask him seriously where are the gates of hell coming down around the church that I pastored? I pastored in two churches in California, one on the East Bay area of San Francisco. And I would say, Oh God, where is the evidence? Where is the manifestation of your mighty power pulling down the gates of hell? God's people never even ask the question. We look at how we gather, but what impact is the church making to pull down the gates of hell? Can we build a church? Sure, we can build a church, but how would you know if he has built the church when the gates of hell start coming down? It's not a matter of strategizing a long-range plan. It's a looking at where is the evidence of God mightily at work in a very, very broken community where I was pastoring in the East Bay Area of San Francisco, there suddenly uh, developed a gang called the Untouchables. This group of young adults began to wreak havoc across our community, and especially in the low-rent housing area where we had many members. Now, what do you do when a group of people announce they're going to tear up your community. Well, I turned to the church and said, they don't stand a chance as long as we are the people of God here. So I had to teach them and I had to train them and instruct them. And I had to instruct them on what do you do if God hears our cry and brings them to church? You don't have some ushers to usher them out. We just prayed. Our problem is we pray and then when God acts, we say, Lord, what's happening? He said, I'm answering your prayer. (laughs) So one Sunday night, 26 of this gang walked into the church. We had a low ceiling, first unit building, tile floor, metal chairs, very loud. This 26 came in, they noisily got a chair They leaned it back against the back wall, and they put their arms like this, all 26 of them. And in my heart, I said, gotcha. (laughs) See, they didn't have any idea about the mighty presence of Almighty God. But I had prepared our church for God to hear our cry. And you know, in the next six months, 24 of the 26 became a Christian. And it completely <laughs> it completely shut down that whole movement. And I was in a banquet with all of the law enforcement officers from the FBI and the highway patrol, every agency. And uh, to my surprise, one of the youth police officers from our area stood up and said, folks, I need to tell you something said, uh, there's a section of our city that had the highest calls, crime calls, of any part of our city. But today, it has the lowest number of calls. And then he said, the only answer to that is this young man and his church. The gates of hell were coming down. Now I ask you, In your personal life, in your family life, and in your church, and in your workplace, are the gates of hell coming down? And if not, why not? Well, I want to take you into the third chapter of the book of Acts, where your theme is that refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. But I want to lead up to this, and then we'll read a portion of that third chapter. It's incredible but you can't understand that chapter without understanding what had just preceded it. God knew clearly the reality of eternity. I said to a group not long ago, you cannot understand John 3.16 without understanding the heart of God and his understanding of eternity. And that one word in John 3.16, which says, perish. What does God mean by perish? He means that there's an eternity. And there's a separation. And there's a great gulf fixed between heaven and hell. And hell is exceedingly real to God. And Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, if... You are a lost person. You have never let God transform your life by a relationship to his son. Then you're without Christ, you're without God, and you're without hope. And Jesus, describing that moment, he said, he will then turn to those who do not know him and say, depart from me, into outer darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I believe God knows what eternity is like. God's people have forgotten what eternity is like. I've asked scores of people in the last two or three weeks, when was the last time you heard a message on hell? Not one could remember the last message. And I said, then that's a missing word in the life of the people of God that must be returned because the heart of God knows what eternity is like and that's why he sent his son so that we would not need to perish that is be separated from God without him and without hope forever with a gulf fixed into a place prepared for the devil and his angels read the scriptures and let that impact your heart that's why jesus came he knew what eternity was all about and he spoke about it consistently throughout his ministry now the scripture says that he came to his own we have such a focus on lost people we have misunderstood the heartbeat of the scriptures folks He came to his own because as goes his own, so goes the redemption of the rest of the world. If we don't walk with him, he doesn't have plan B to touch the rest of the world. He came to his own. What was the first word out of the mouth of the Son of God speaking from the heart of the Heavenly Father? What was the first word he spoke to his own? repent. You say, why is he asking his own to repent? Because they needed to repent. And he said, you need to repent because the whole kingdom, the whole rule of God is now right next to you. Now that's revival. When God becomes God in the midst of his people, and there's a clear evidence that he's there. It is interesting how we cry out and even sing, Lord, we want you to come in power. My heart says he doesn't come any other way. When God comes, all there is of God has come. The problem is not that we don't have God. He doesn't have us. And therefore, you don't experience the power of God. There's a prerequisite For God ruling in the life of his people is called repentance. That means you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around. Because God's going in this direction. If you want to experience him, you've got to be with him. Now let me ask you a simple, clear question. How would you know if you were walking with God? What would be the evidence? Well, let me ask you. What was the evidence to the disciples that they were walking with Christ? How would they know that they were walking with Christ? Look what he was doing all over the place, all around them. The blind saw, the lepers were cleansed, the dead were raised, the multitudes were fed what's happening around your life how would you know if you're walking with Christ look at the evidence but God's people refuse to do that because we have moved from relationship to religion and we practice religion and assume it is relationship that was the fault of the Pharisees they practiced religion but did not enter into the relationship with the Son of God. Now, these disciples, and we're going to see Peter and John, they had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. What had happened? They experienced the rule of God. There was no demon that could ever stand in the presence of the Son of God. None. There was healing There was teaching and preaching and then Jesus said, let me describe to you what it's like to have the kingdom of heaven right next to you. Bring that blind man over here and he healed him. He said, now that's what I'm talking about. My father did that, bring me the lepers. And Jesus became the evidence and the definition of what it meant for the rule of God to be right next to you. And so when the multitudes came, the disciples said, send them home. And Jesus said, I want the multitudes to understand the difference that the rule of God makes for their life. Sit them down. And with a few loaves and fishes, he fed 5,000 men and their families, which had never happened in all of human history. For three and a half years... They walk with the Son of God. They heard him teach. He taught the rule of God. The rule of God is a definition of revival. When God begins to have absolute freedom to express his sovereign rule in the life of his people. We'll illustrate that in a moment. So for three and a half years, They walk with Jesus and then there came four things that would radically change their life. The Holy Spirit would have to open their understanding as he has to open our understanding. There came that moment called the cross. Paul says when Jesus Christ took the sin of the world on himself and defeated everything about sin to set everybody free who would believe in him. He said, there has come a power from the cross. What God did in Jesus Christ released a power available to his people. And they could experience the power of the cross. As a matter of fact, God could come to us today and say, What more could I have done for sin in your life than what I did on the cross? I expect to see victory over sin. Now, as a pastor, I believed that. And in 30 years of pastoring in California during the 60s, when everything was being turned upside down, in 30 years of pastoring, I only saw one divorce And that was someone who left the country, and I couldn't get to them. And people have said to me, Henry, that's astounding. I said, no, that's the gospel. The power of the cross is real. The rule of God comes right down the middle of the people of God. And we become the demonstration in our marriages of the meaning of the cross. But they experienced the resurrection, did they not? Let me ask you, what was the measure of the power God released to every believer when he raised Jesus from the dead? I'm quoting from Ephesians 1. All the power of God was at work in the resurrection of Jesus, and he defeated sin and death and hell and every principality and every power, every dominion, every name that is named in heaven and under the earth and on the earth, Ephesians 1. And that same power has been given to every solitary person who believes. Folks, tonight God stands at your life and says, what more could I have done? to bring you all the power of the universe to reign in your life and through your life. Where is the evidence of resurrection power transforming lives through your life and your family and your church? Does he not have a right to expect that? He does. And then when Jesus went back to the Father, what was his assignment to this very hour? He's at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you. Could you have any other significant intercessor than the Son of God at the side of the Father interceding for you? Is there anything that he will not do when his son makes a request? I live in that, and I watch what he does. I just came off a Revival Heritage tour, which I have done three or four times. England, Wales, Northern Ireland, and Scotland. When we got on the, together uh, on a bus, a couple came to me and said, that we brought our 18-year-old son, rather heavyset, over six feet he said our son we can't leave him at home or he'd commit suicide and when I approached him his eyes were down he never lifted his eyes when I spoke he never returned any conversation whatsoever it seemed to me he was a man in utter bondage and if he's left alone he would go out into eternity now what do you do Well, one thing, I absolutely believed that in my life, God had given me what he needs. So I made time to talk with him. And I shared with him extensively over a noon hour. Now, I don't know about you, but if the God of the universe is actively at work, you'll know it. I mean, we have an amazing dysfunction with God. We say, oh, Lord, help me, and then we never look for him helping us. I said, oh, God, only you can rescue this young man. And I said, Lord, I don't know what to say, but you know what to say. Help me to know what to say. And I found scriptures coming to mind, and I found illustrations coming to mind, and as I began to share, I could see the power of God touching his life. I mean, are you looking for the power of God working in other people's lives through your life? When people hear that all five of our children have felt called into the ministry, they just say, that's amazing. I said, no, that's God. God is interested in a godly seed. He's told us that, and he told us what to do. And when you do it, you can literally see God working in your children. It's incredible we are the resident presence of God the kingdom the rule of God is right down the middle of our life well the end of that story was that by the time the tour was over he was one of the most open happy cheerful changed individual on the whole trip I mean he was talking to everybody he was happy and then he even came and Ask people, would you take a picture of me standing beside Dr. Blackaby? I thought, my goodness, he didn't even want to touch me when I first taught him. But you know what happened? The power of God and the intercession of our Lord. I said, Oh Lord, would you talk to the Father that you can grant what is needed to save this young man's life? When was the last time he did it through you? In the workplace. With your grandchildren, you know that Marilyn and I had a thrill when we watched our grandchild preach his first sermon. The only thing about it was too much of his father came out in him. (laughs) And his father said too much of his grandfather came out in him. (laughs) We're still working on that one. But you know, Peter and John in this passage of scripture, they just come through that. And they just come through Pentecost. Jesus had promised, wait until you be endued with power from on high. And when you are endued with power, you'll be my witness. You will be the demonstration before a watching world of the message you deliver. Our lives must become the incarnation of every truth. That we're trying to share to someone else. Jesus was. And so, Pentecost had happened. The Spirit had come upon them, and Peter had preached, and he saw 3,000 profess faith in Christ. He watched the literal transformation. Now, folks, all of that evidence we have for our understanding. Do you not? Have you not read Acts 2? That has happened. And you and I are the recipients. And then when the Lord went back up into heaven, these men went about their business, but they were not the same. And you know what happened. They went to the temple. And as they began to enter the temple, there was a, a beggar, a lame man from birth, And he was crying out for alms. And you remember? Do you remember what they said? Oh, that every person in this room would say with the same kind of conviction that Peter and John said it. We don't have silver and gold, but such as we do have, we give to you. And he reached out took him by the hand and said, get up and walk. And this man, whatever his age, who had never walked from the time he was born, suddenly, what happened? The king of the universe was right next to that young man and he was right in the midst of Peter's life. And out from Peter's life came the incredible power of God and healed this man. Do you know what happened next? Well, let's read the story because I'll pick it up halfway through. You just need to know what happened because what you're going to see next is one of the clearest pictures of revival and awakening in all of the scriptures. So it says, verse 11, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's greatly amazed so when Peter saw it he responded to the people men of Israel why do you marvel at this or why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or our godliness we have made this man walk the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the God of our father glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. You denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of whom we are witnesses." We're telling you about what we know, but we are bearing witness to his presence. We are the demonstration of the presence of the living Lord. We are witnesses not for him. We are witnesses unto him. And we just demonstrated that he is present because when we uttered his name in the name of the Son of God, this man was made whole and we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know yes the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all yet now brethren I know that you did it In ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Then comes this incredible statement. What's the first word he asked them to do? Talking to God's people. Repent. Very first words to God's people is repent therefore and be converted now we use that term to mean be saved I think he's saying you're going in the wrong direction simply turn around and go in God's direction that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before. And when you go through the rest of that chapter, there's an incredible statement that he sent Jesus, his servant, to bless you by turning you from your sin. We say, oh Lord, bless us. This scripture says, When Christ blesses you, he turns you from your sin. But we don't say, Lord, bless me by turning me from our sin. We just want to be blessed without any reference to our sin. Do you know why revival tarries? God's people do not believe that they're going in the wrong direction. They've got to turn around. If there's no evidence of the power of the cross and no evidence of the power of the resurrection and no evidence of the intercession of the Savior and no evidence of Pentecost in your life or your family or your church, then you're going in the wrong direction. Revival's over here and you're going here. You've got to be where he is. And so... Peter and John gave them a clear message. God wants to bring refreshing from his presence upon his people. It waits on repentance. I had the privilege of being involved in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, in what they've called the Canadian Revival. A number of us pastors got together to pray and for two and a half years, we prayed earnestly before the Lord. And we prayed earnestly before the Lord. Suddenly, the Spirit of God fell on that city. And the little church where we were praying, they seated about 350. And suddenly, they couldn't get the people in. They went down to the Anglican church, St. Timothy's, just down the block, seated 600. First night, they couldn't get the people in. Went down to University Drive Alliance that seated 900, couldn't get the people in. Went on down to the Third Avenue United Church. And there, folks, for seven and a half weeks, every night of the week, the Spirit of God crowded out that place. And people began to repent. God's people began to repent to 3 and 4 and 5 in the morning, every night for seven and a half weeks. God did a number on that city. When God came to his people, the first response was a woeful crying out to God for their sin. And they began to cry out to God, oh God, would you expose my sin? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me of my sin? And would you take up permanent residence and work your work through our life? The little church I had gone to, was a church that had called a meeting to disband the church. Only 10 people left and they were too discouraged. And I brought our four little boys and we were expecting our daughter, no promise of support, nothing, just God. And we guided and turned that people back to God. And then came the mighty touch of God on that city. And you know, from that one little congregation, I stayed there 12 years And that little congregation was responsible in its mission churches and the churches that came from it for establishing 38 new congregations. And they reached, I baptized over 180 university students. And we saw more than 100 feel called into the ministry and missions. And we started a whole theological college just to train them. Had over 400 come through that school. Now we went to the church And they were so discouraged, they wanted to just quit. What was the difference? The people, doesn't matter how many, the people returned to God. And then God returned to them. Was there a difference? Oh, I'll tell you, what it was like to be involved in the midst of a mighty movement of God. I had the privilege of speaking in Fort Collins, Colorado, To the global staff of Campus Crusade, several thousand. And Nancy DeMoss and I were the speakers, and suddenly the Spirit of God fell on that group, thousands of them. And you know, there was an unbroken time of immediate, total repentance and confession of sin on the part of the staff of Campus Crusade for 21 hours. Bill Bright, I said, Bill. You need to help them because they don't know how to repent. We have called on the lost people to repent so long that God's people don't know how they are to repent, and so they were doing all kinds of haywire things at the microphone. And when they would go and kneel and pray, you know, some dear person would come and get alongside and say, "I don't feel so bad," and I said, "Don't you ever comfort." a person under conviction of sin. Don't comfort them. Let God complete his work in their life until they have repented. Then you can comfort them. So Bill said, Henry, I've never handled something like this. I said, well, let me go help them. So I stood at the microphone for nine and a half hours and guided those dear people in how to repent and how to return to God. I've met some since their lives were radically changed. God has given me the privilege of being present in a number of incredible moments when God returned to his people, and they immediately returned to him. So he said, God sent his son Jesus to bless you by returning you from your sin. What about your life? These are times of refreshing from the Lord. You and I will not be able to receive a blessing that God chooses to send from his presence. Malachi 3 says, you just need to test me and see if I would not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you could not even receive it. What is wrong? God's people, need to stand in the presence of a holy God saying, I see little or no evidence of the power of the cross or resurrection power or intercession or Pentecost in my life or in my family. And oh God, in my Sunday school class, nothing's happening. In my workplace, nothing is happening. Oh God, there's something wrong with me. Would you search me and test me and try my heart, and let me know what it is, and then I'll turn from it, and I'll turn to you with all of my heart, so that refreshing from the presence of the Lord may fall upon me, our family, our church, our neighborhood. Are you serious about a heart cry for a mighty touch of God. Without it, our nation will not survive the judgment of God. There is too much. He has never let a nation ever go as far as we have gone without judgment. But the withholding of the judgment on America waits on the repentance of the people of God. And if we don't see the problem, then we've got the problem. And if we do not care to grieve in the presence of God, that we are not seeing the gates of hell come down. We're not experiencing the power of the cross. And there's no grief in our heart. Then we're a long ways away from the Lord. There's no way you and I could walk with the living Christ who knows what eternity is like and not be grieving and weeping like he has. And that's a decision you and I make. He turned to the people and said, you've had all the scriptures. God's told you. Now what you need to do is repent you need to say, God, there's something wrong with me. And your spirit is convicting me there's something wrong. I know there's something wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. But, oh, God, would you put your finger on it? And I will believe you and return to you with all my heart. Now, the spirit of God has caused you to hear from the Father. His assignment, John 16 says, he never speaks anything except what he hears. What he hears from the Father, he speaks to his children. You have been hearing from the Father through the Spirit of God. Is there anything that's disturbing you? Is there anything that is turning you upside down on the inside saying, I never heard it this way? Lord, I just have been moving in religious activity but are content to live with no evidence of what you expect. The power of the cross is not dealing with sin in my life or my surroundings. The power of the resurrection is not being expressed. Oh, Father... It's me. But tonight I don't want to go from this place without letting you know with all of my heart I'm releasing all there is of me to all there is of you. I refuse to stay where I've been. I don't want to stay where I've been. I want you to know that I want to move from where I've been to where you want me to be so that revival, the presence and power of God may be expressed through my life wherever you put me, and so for the next few moments, we'll have an opportunity, as I always do, to, to invite you to the altar, if some of you want to come. And the only reason I do that is because somehow I feel in my own life, if God has dealt with me and I know I've got to change, I've got to move from where I was to where I want to be symbolically, when I move from where I'm sitting and meet God, I'm saying, Lord, this is what I want to have happen in my life. I'm coming from where I am to where you are. And I know he's there where you are, but somehow it does something inside. It settles something. You're you're settling something with God. You're saying, in the workplace, I refuse to be a Christian without seeing the evidence of God working through my life. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I just want to release my life to him. I want him to do whatever it takes to move me from where I've been to where he is. So where he is, the rule of God is clearly expressed. Other people's lives are changed when he works through me. So I want you to know that the There's no more pressure. I don't put pressure except what the word of God says. Did you hear it? Did the spirit of God open your understanding? You may be one of those who have heard and heard and heard. You've never become a child of God. You have never become a follower of Jesus. So all that God has provided is on the outside because you are not on the inside. And you need to say tonight, oh, Lord, I've heard enough. I know that you died for me. I know that without you, eternity will be mine, without God, without hope, forever separated. And, oh, God, I know that you love me enough to give your son to die for me, for my sin, so that I could be forgiven. Oh, Lord, forgive me tonight. And the staff will be here. And if you want to talk, they'll pray with you. You may want to be a part of this fellowship then you come. But you may want tonight to say, the last night of four messages on revival, will I just sit like a religious observer, listening to another message? Or will I encounter him and know it's him and respond to him tonight? Don't want to go out the same as when I came in. I want to pray. And then As the music is playing, the altar will be open and the spirit of God will say, come, come, come to the fountain, come for cleansing, come for restoration, come for revival. Father, my own heart has been profoundly touched just in the preparing. And Lord, we want it to be said by our Lord that. We don't only honor him with our lips, but we do so with our heart. For it's out of our heart that our life comes. And all the words from our lips that is not transforming our heart, and therefore our life is empty. So Lord, your people here in this great church are wanting a mighty, mighty touch of your presence. They want a refreshing from your presence, and tonight they know what you've asked them to do to prepare. And Lord, may there be no hesitation in the hearts of your people to say, here am I, use me. Now as the music quietly plays, I'm gonna ask you to just stand because it's a lot easier if you wanna come to the altar. And please know the altar is open. What has God said to you? There's something that you need to settle with, God. Eternity hangs in the balance with so many. And it waits on you. But no evidence? Don't go out of here without asking God to give you the clear, unmistakable evidence of his presence working in you to transform those you meet. It may be an 18-year-old boy on the edge of eternity. It might be a crippled from birth, but resident within you is all the sovereign rule and presence of God. Don't go out of here without him. So we give you just a moment I found in my own heart. If I'm ready, it doesn't take that long for me to decide. What I do spontaneously when I hear from God indicates the condition of my heart. If I have to struggle, then my heart is not right. When there's a call of God, the nation stands on the edge of judgment. I'm waiting for my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves like these on our knees before God. Oh God, it's me. And pray and turn from their wicked ways. Oh, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and then I'll begin to heal their land. The healing of America waits on the repentance of God's people. And you may want to just kneel where you are, or sit quietly with a personal commitment, but there's so much that is hanging in the balance. You and I are just a prayer away from revival just a prayer away he says if you seek me with all of your heart i will be found draw near to me and i'll draw near to you is god near in your life god has given you a wonderful godly pastor I'm going to let him guide you in the closing moments as your shepherd. We linger from this very room, from this very room could begin a mighty movement of God that can touch a nation, but it waits on us.